It's always a privilege to be here with you, and this morning we're actually wrapping up our series we've called Messiah, and we've been looking at the actual Jesus, the genuine Jesus, not the Jesus that maybe we thought about him before we came to Christ, or the Jesus the world talks about, or, or others think, but the, the Jesus of Scripture, uh, the genuine Jesus. And so we're going to look at this morning specifically at the second coming of Christ, uh, Christ returning as the conquering king. And as I was praying over this message, putting it together, um, I was reminded of, I don't even know how many years ago it was now, the first time I saw this bumper sticker, I've seen it many times since then, but it says, Jesus is coming, look busy. Jesus is coming, look busy. And I remember seeing that and chuckling myself, but then thinking, that's not really the point. (laughs) The point of knowing that Christ is returning isn't just looking busy. And so we're going to look at some of that this morning, but we're going to start actually by looking at the ascension of Christ. Luke records for us the the immediate scene after Jesus had, of course, after his resurrection, he's teaching his disciples, he's appearing to individuals, he's he's preparing them for his final departure before he'll return. Uh, And and so as he's speaking with them, this is what Luke records, Acts 1, 9 through 11. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so Luke lets us know right off the bat that it was a cloud that, 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 took Jesus out of their sight. And elsewhere in scripture, when we hear this description of a cloud, when a cloud's used in scripture, it often refers to the manifestation of God's presence. And, and so we're not just to think that Jesus, it was like a cloudy day and Jesus went up and sort of was out of sight. There, there's a real meaning behind this cloud that, that takes Jesus out of their sight. It's, it's a manifestation of God's glory. It's the very presence of God. And notice that Luke notes that as they were looking on, Jesus was lifted up. And so they're, they're looking into the sky, and, and it's a visible ascension, a visible ascension of Jesus. He, he physically ascends into heaven, indicates that he's, he has his physical human body as a God-man. And he's seated at the right hand of God. However, he's, he'll return in the same physical body immediately. As Christ ascends, there's two individuals standing by the apostles and they're in white robes indicating they're angels. And, and, and what do they say? They say, you know, why are you gazing into heaven? Probably one of my favorite lines in, in scripture in the sense of, can you imagine being there on the scene? You'd be gazing into heaven too, wouldn't you? You'd be gazing up at the sky like Jesus was here, then he was there. And they said, why, why are you looking up there? Jesus will come, they say. Jesus will come in the same way you saw him go. Why look at that? Because when we talk about the second coming of Jesus, we understand that Jesus' return, like his ascension, will be both bodily and visible. Uh, Since Christ's ascension, his followers have been anticipating this bodily and visible return uh, of Jesus. And it really does make sense because the second coming of Jesus Christ is the hope of believers. That God is in control of all things and faithful to his promises and his prophecies in Scripture. Think about Christ's first coming, how the, all the prophecies that were spoken, and Jesus comes, he comes as a baby, and he fulfilled all the prophecies relating to his birth, his life, his ministry. 
his death and resurrection. So all the remaining prophecies in Scripture speak of the second coming of Christ. And this is important to understand. In Jesus' first coming, he was a suffering servant. In his second coming, he'll be a conquering king. In Jesus' first coming, he arrived in humble circumstances. But in his second coming, he will arrive with the armies of heaven by his side. I've had conversations with many people over the years who, who talk about like, I like talking about baby Jesus, or I like talking about sort of this part of Jesus's ministry, or, or I like talking about end time Jesus. And, and the reality of it is Jesus is Jesus. <laughs> like he's consistent. He doesn't change. And so as he came as humble servant, as he returns as conquering king, is because Jesus is both suffering servant and conquering king. But gets us, beautiful picture of Christ's return, this amazing picture of Christ's return in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. John's given this revelation. This is what he writes. He said, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it called faithful and true and in righteousness he judge and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a remarkable picture. First of all, the, the, the rider on the white horse is, is victorious. We know that because white signifies victory. And we know it's Jesus because of the title faithful and true. So Jesus is, is leading this army of heaven. And what's being described is, is a final battle. The final battle between Christ and the forces of evil where they're defeated and Christ is victorious. Uh, this passage shows a, the single greatest promise in history. And that's the return of Christ. Notice that Jesus is described with eyes like a flame of fire, a sharp sword. I mean, he's armed for battle. Jesus is, is the conquering king returning to claim those who are his. And the many diadems are, are a symbol of, the, of, of many, many crowns signifying that he is indeed king of kings and lord of lords. His name, Word of God, means that he's, he's an exact representation of God. He's God himself, and, and the name is written that nobody knows. And, and that's just an interesting statement, but it just shows the mystery of Jesus. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, a God I can completely understand cease to be a God I need to know. And so the scripture teaches us enough about God for us to know him and be in relationship with him, but we're never going to truly know all there is to know about God. I've heard believers say, I can't wait to go to heaven when I'll know everything. And it's like, if you think you're going to know everything in heaven, you're not. I hate to break the news to you. You'll know what you need to know. But there's still going to be a mystery of who God is. He's still going to be God and we're not. And John gives this description of him. It says, Jesus is the Messiah who will rule the nations with a rod of iron, meaning that he'll judge justly. And he'll punish the wicked. 
It says that the divine warrior who, who treads the winepress of the wrath of God is rope dip, dipped in blood. Again, well, that's quite a description. In short, Revelation 19, 11 through 16 presents us with a spectacular picture of Jesus, the conquering king returning, fulfilling the promise that he's going to make everything right. You ever had a conversation with somebody? Maybe you thought it yourself. I know I have. You know, why is there so much evil in the world? If God loves us, why is there evil? And, and the reality is this evil will not be eternal. The struggles we have are not eternal. What good news that is. When Jesus returns, all that, that we crave, that, that paradise will be here, the new earth in which we live. That's good news. Why does he wait? Well, he waits because he loves us. He waits to give opportunity for people to choose him. If he were to wipe out evil right now, then everybody who hasn't received him would be without the opportunity to do so. So he waits patiently for us to come to Jesus. In fact, if you haven't come to Jesus yet, come to Jesus so he can come back. He's patiently waiting. He is. But he will come back. And he will make everything right. Scripture teaches that Christ's return is imminent. In other words, his return could happen at any moment. Paul's writing to one of his young protégés, Titus, and Titus is one of my favorite leadership books of all time, short book, great stuff, Titus 2.13. He's writing about the fact Titus is, is to set up churches on the island of Crete and, and, and how he's supposed to do that. And he talks about how, how difficult that ministry is because Crete's a difficult place. And look what he writes in Titus 2.13 as a way of encouragement to Timothy. Waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great Savior, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying as you're doing this, Christ can come back at any moment. Be mindful of that. Be about the work that God's called you to, knowing that he's going to return. See, knowing that the Lord could return today could tempt some to, to be sort of a little lazy and others to, to maybe fear. And I believe God wants us as, as followers of his to, to really not live in fear, but to anticipate his return. But the question is, how should we live while awaiting Christ's return? How? How do we do that? How, do we, how are we to live awaiting his return? Well, the first is this. We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. We have an account in Matthew 24 where the disciples ask Jesus, they say, tell us what's going to happen. Like, give us signs of what's going to happen before you come in power so we can be ready. What can we expect? And Jesus' reply emphasized that the events that would pl take place prior to his return. However, it's very interesting. He pointed out that his followers should be less concerned with knowing the exact date and more concerned with being prepared. Catch that this morning. When he emphasized, he said, look, I'm going to tell you all this stuff, but understand, it's not about knowing the exact date. It's being prepared when I return. See, for the believer, this means not investing much time in speculative theology. You know, I've heard people say things like, I know Jesus is coming back today, or I know Jesus is coming back this year. I know Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. And let me let you in on a little secret. They've been saying that since Jesus ascended. And they've been wrong. And now, could he? Yeah, somebody's going to get it right. Somebody's going to say, Jesus is going to come back in my lifetime. And guess what? He's going to. But he hasn't yet. 
But we got to be careful that we don't spend so much time trying to figure all that out when Jesus is like, that's not the point. The point is to know I'm going to return. Be prepared. Be prepared. Make sure you're doing those things I've called you to do. Make sure you're, you're knowing me, making me known. So for the believer, this means not investing, again, much time in those things, but living a life of knowing God and making him known. And for those who've yet to receive Christ, how are they prepared? It means today you have an opportunity. At this very moment, you have an opportunity to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Be prepared. Receive him. How should we live while waiting Christ's return? We should be prepared. Secondly, we need to be cautious. We must be aware of the signs of Christ's return while realizing these signs are often misread. The disciples in Matthew 24 asked Jesus for these signs of his return. And you know what the first thing he says to them is? Do not be fooled. That's interesting, isn't it? Do not be fooled. Why? Because the fact is that whenever we look for signs, we become highly susceptible to being deceived and distracted from our mission. I mean, and there are false prophets with counterfeit signs of spiritual power and authority. And there's also well-intended speculative theologians who unintentionally lead people astray. I mean, I could stand up here this morning and say, God has told me he's coming back next week. Like somehow I broke the code. Jesus said, no one will know except for the Father in heaven. And somehow I broke the code. I figured it out. Which means one of two things. Either I'm smarter than all of you, and I was able to figure out something that none of you could figure out. Or I'm just loved more by God than you. And he thought, I'll give you the information, Craig, because none of the rest of them deserve it. How many of you think both of those are false? <laughs> Absolutely. And so we don't want to be fooled. We don't want to be led astray. You know, sometimes I... I'm going to get myself in trouble, but I I live there anyway, so let's go there. Uh, Sometimes I look at groups, and they spend so much time. And I think, there's there's better things to set your time on. Do we study the end times? Sure, Revelation says, blessed are those who read it. But we don't read it so we can make our charts and our maps. and We read it so we know he's returning. We're confident in his return. We're ready for his return. So we've got to be cautious. The only way to keep from being deceived is focusing on Jesus and his word, keeping the main thing the main thing. What else do we do? Well, we need to be prepared. We need to be cautious. Lastly, we need to be diligent. If we knew the precise precise date of Christ's return, I believe many of us would be tempted to be lazy in our daily living for Jesus. Like if we knew he was coming back in three years, all those things that we feel like you were sharing the love of Christ with our neighbor or coworker, we go, well, we got plenty of time. I'll just wait. And, and we'd wait until those three years were almost up. Then we'd try to cram everything in. You know? Some of us is wired that way. It, it reminded me when I was growing up in my parents' household and, and my dad sometimes would say to me, he'd say, hey, Craig, I want you to get the lawn done before I come home from work. You know what question I asked, Right? What time are you coming home from work? And he'd give me the time, and I knew I had all this time until then. Now, if I was smart, on those days I was smart, which I have to admit was very few and far between, I would just get out there and get it done. Then I had the whole rest of the day. But most often than not, I would do all this stuff, and all of a sudden I'd look, and I'd go, oh my goodness, you say he was coming home at 5, and it's 4.15. Then I would think about it a little bit and go out and mow the lawn. 
And I can still remember, still remember to this day, the look on my father's face when he would drive in to the, to the driveway and look over and just shake his head. Church family, I don't want Jesus shaking his head at me. You hear what I'm saying? I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not that I'm perfect. You've heard me say this. I'm not. I'm not what I ought to be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm a work in progress. And that's what he really calls all of us to be, works in progress, just, just trusting him and growing in him. And I just, I just don't want to have him shaking his head. I, I just want to be about doing those things which brings his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I've shared this before. It's, it's true. Every, every morning I pray over us as a church family, but anywhere where a person from Crosswind set their foot, they'll claim that for them. I want you to think about that for a minute. Maybe tomorrow morning as you head off to work, you're like, what am I doing in this place? I want you to know that I'm praying that you'll claim that place for Jesus. If nothing else. Any seniors in high school in here, you know, getting ready to graduate? When you're, when you're going through and you're like, man, I'm almost done. And what am I even going to school tomorrow for? By the way, it's so you graduate. But know that I'm praying for each of you as students. So when you get on your campus and wonder, what am I doing in this place? that you'll claim that place for Jesus. That literally, as, as God's kingdom comes, as will is done in your life, that as we venture into our community, as we, as we gather, but we gather so we can scatter. As we scatter throughout this region, we take his love and message to the places where we find ourselves, whether it be our homes, neighborhoods, work, school, where we play, that they'll see the glory of Christ, but they'll know him too. See, knowing that Christ is going to return, it, it motivates me to actively be about his work. I don't want to be caught up just doing my own thing and sort of playing around with my faith. I, I want to be serious about my faith. I want to be serious about loving people with the love of Christ. Serious about living for Jesus. Developing a, a false sense of security based on a precise calculation of events or, or letting our curiosity about the end times divert us from doing what God's called us to do. It, it really hurts us and it hurts others. Jesus shared about the end times to show his followers the urgency of spreading the good news of salvation to everyone. Now I say that very clearly, that God does not want believers to live in fear. And sometimes when I hear people speak about the end times, even believers, they speak of it in such a way that like they're scared of it. And I think we don't need to be scared of it. This is the hope of us as believers, right, church? When I was uh, in student ministry, um, back when Moses was a part of it, when I was in student ministry, uh, I remember they showed this particular movie. I don't know why they showed it. It was like from a couple of decades, even before me. It was an old movie, and, and it was an end times movie. I think it was meant like to scare us in the salvation or scare us in the sanctification. I don't know, but it was a freaky flick. And often I think back and I go, that's not the way Jesus shared it. That's not the reason why John got this revelation. You know who John is, right? John's the one who, when Peter's being re reinstated into ministry, and Jesus, he's, you know, he's denied Christ, and Jesus says, no, your faith is going to be so strong that one day you're actually going to die for me. And Peter looks at him, he says, what about that guy? He's pointing to John. And Jesus doesn't tell him, but John's going to die of old age. He's the only one of the apostles that does. Everyone else dies for their faith. John dies of old age. And while he's exiled in Pathos, he's given this, this revelation. It's not revelations, it's one revelation. 
And he's given this picture of the end time, not to freak us out, although there's some stuff in there we may not understand. But so that as believers, we can have peace. But Jesus is returning. Like the army that Jesus is leading is an army that's coming to give us that paradise that we crave. Why would we fear that? Here's something that may shock you. If you're sitting here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, you don't have to fear the end time either. Because you can make a decision to follow Jesus today. I mean, right now, you can say yes to him and be on the winning side. Be on the receiving a blessing side of things. But Jesus didn't come so that we would fear. He came so that we would have abundant joy. But that abundant joy is only found in him. We read about the end times and in scripture, righteous living, not because God wants to steal joy from us, but it's foolishness to think we can live contrary to God's word and feel joy. I have people all the time say to me, well, the Bible's just filled with rules. And I'm like, yeah, those rules are there to give you joy. They're there to to allow you to live a life and allow you to live it to the fullest, to, to be able to have peace in the midst of all these storms that we face. Why would we think we could do things our own way? It's gonna end up better. Anyone ever try that? I have. It doesn't work. His way is always the best way. The apostles lived and served knowing that Jesus could return at any time in their lifetime. He didn't, but he could have. And, and there's no indication that they invested any significant amount of time trying to speculate when he would return. To the contrary, what did they do? They, instead of speculating when he would return, they prepared they were cautious. They, 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 were, they were disciplined enough to, to go about and fulfill the commission of going to all the world and to preach the gospel to all creation. I mean, here it is. Knowing that Christ was returning did not fill the apostles with fear, but with the strength to courageously share his love and message with others. Isn't that a wonderful truth that we can claim in our own lives this morning? The apostles understood that Christ's followers, Jesus' imminent return meant that that we must share the good news with others, that we we need to be about doing the Lord's work. And as the apostles lived to the fullest, as if every day was their last, we too need to view every day as a gift and use it to know God and make him known. Using it wisely. As I was putting this message together, another story from my childhood came up. And I remember it just like it was yesterday because it was such a startling moment. My mom had gone Christmas shopping and she left my brother and my good friend Shane and I in the house. Now you have to know I was 15 years old, so I wasn't a little kid. I was 15 years old and we got bored. Anyone ever gotten bored? You know? And we were trying to figure out what could we do? And I said, you know what? We got firecrackers. I said, let's, let's, let's light these things off. Let's, let's have fun. And the problem was we didn't have a lighter. So I came up with this brilliant idea. Brilliant. Let's light them off the stove. What? Yeah, let's light them off the stove. I wish you had been there. He would have helped me. Let's light them off the stove, and then I'll throw them out the front door. So you open up the front door, and we'll throw them out. And, yeah. And I thought, and we, and I'd done like 10. I mean, it was a blast. We were laughing. It was great. And I thought, if one's cool, 10 would be, I mean, a whole pack would be better. I wish you were there. And, and I took the whole pack. And, and, and what I didn't think through was one firecracker. Now, some of you are really good at math and science. One firecracker doesn't weigh the same as a pack. Just wasn't thinking it. 
And so I lit this whole pack, this whole brick. And I was going to throw it. I didn't tell my brother or my friend Shane because I wanted to sort of surprise them. And, and so I took it. But when I threw it, I threw it with too much power and it hit the top of the doorpost. Did I tell you the carpet was brand new in that room? Brand new carpet. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's smoking, right? And I run up, I go, oh, it's not on fire. It melted the carpet. I don't know what was, yeah. And, and as soon as, as I looked at that, guess who came in the back door? My mom carrying Christmas gifts. Yeah, that's why I remember as if it was yesterday. It was shocking. My brother, all he could say, he was my younger brother, all he could say was, oh, you're getting in trouble for this one, because he got in trouble for everything, because he was the one who always got in trouble. He was so excited that the older brother was going to be the one who was going to have to get in trouble for this one. And then my friend Shane, we found him later. He was in the bathroom, in the shower, hiding from mom. <laughs> that is the honest to God truth. I remember finding him, I said, what are you doing, dude? You're like, what? I was left for dead. Mom came around, I thought, this is going to be, first of all, the worst day and the worst Christmas ever. <laughs> she came around, looked at it, and I still remember, she looked up and said, get out of the house. Like, just, she was so upset, I, could, I thought, I was saved at that moment. So Shane could drive, I said, let's go. And my brother even hopped in the car, and we, we, we went away. Later, I found out, she never told my dad, by the way, because she didn't want him to kill me, I think. And so she, she actually put a table there. And almost a decade later, he was painting that room, and he moved that table. And he said, what happened to our carpet? And she said, well, you can't be too upset with Craig. It happened almost a decade ago, you know? So, <laughs> thank God. What a dumb idea. What a dumb idea. Who came up with that idea? What a dumb idea. Now, why, do, why, why do I share that? Because, again, I can remember the look on my mom's face. I don't want that to be the look Jesus has. Like, like. Craig, I, I filled you with my spirit. You have the resources of heaven at your disposal. By the way, I was a believer at that time, so I believe the Holy Spirit was saying, Craig, don't do this. Craig, don't do this. I won't even listen. Right? I'm like, Dude, I don't want to do that. I want to be sensitive to his spirit's voice. I want to be excited about his return. I want to be about his business. God, may your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. May your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Use this imperfect, I'm speaking of myself, use this imperfect vessel to reach people with your love and message. So that when he comes, with a smile on my face, I can say, I'm ready. Amen? I'm ready. And each of us can be ready. I ask you this morning, are you prepared for Christ's return? Are you, are you cautious to not be distracted or led astray? Are you diligent in being about the Lord's business? And, and here's the most important question of all. Are you in a relationship with Jesus Christ, a saving relationship with him? And if not, you can be right now, whether on this campus or watching online. You can say yes to Jesus. And we don't have to fear the end time. We can look forward to it because God is a God of peace and power, yes, but he wants us to live the abundant life. Are you living it? Are you experiencing it? You can this morning. Let's pray. Father God, as I think about Christ's return, I realize it's a hope for us as believers 
It's the sure hope that we'll be able to spend eternity with you in paradise. Lord, for each and every one of us, we, we know what it's like to look around at the world, and especially when we're going through a difficult time personally and think, why is it this way? And we know it's because we live in a fallen world and that you're patient in returning, but when you return, it won't be this way anymore. You'll perfect your work in us and you'll perfect this world in which we live. What an amazing promise. What an amazing experience that's going to be. But in the here and now, you're doing a work in us that allows us to, to have peace amidst the storms, to have power, your power, when we feel weak, when we are weak, to be filled with your joy in situations that the world looks at and says, how can you have joy? And we're like, only because of Jesus. It's not a fleeting happiness. It's not a giddy joy. It's just a joy in knowing that no matter what we go through, that you're in control, that you're going to bring us to the other side and that we're going to share your victory. God, I pray that as followers of yours, that we would be prepared. That we'd be cautious not to be led astray. That we'd be diligent, Lord God, in knowing you and making you known. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning, again, on this campus, watching online, who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, the good news is they can do that right here, right now, in the quietness of their own heart. They can simply say to you, Lord God, thank you for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. I say yes to you, Lord Jesus, yes to you. And the scripture is really clear that all of heaven rejoices. There's a party in heaven when just one person makes that decision to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And Lord, we join in with them. No greater decision, but it's the beginning of a journey, not the end. It's the beginning of walking with you in anticipation of that day when we see you face to face. God, loving, thank you for loving us so extravagantly, for doing all you've done, for doing all you're going to do, and for giving us, amazing, giving us this amazing privilege to partner with you in life. To have your spirit direct us and fill us and use us and sustain us. Lord, I pray that as you bless this gathering, gathering as we scatter in just a moment, that we would scatter in your name, sharing your love and message with those around us, that they too can have the sure hope we have in Jesus. And we give you the praise and the glory for your profound love is overwhelming. In Christ's name, amen.